Let me read for us from God's word uh, as we come to, to think a little bit more about worship and our chief end as human beings. I want to read Psalm number 19. Psalm 19 for us. I'll read the whole psalm. God's word says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven, and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. The reason I wanted to read Psalm 19 for us tonight is because it speaks so clearly about what the Word of God does. And something that's really important for us in worship is God's Word. And when we look at what Psalm 19 tells us, well, why would we look anywhere else when we come to worship? Why would we look for wisdom anywhere else but in God's Word? If God's Word does these things, which God is promising here that God's Word does, well then, that's what allows our, our, the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts to be acceptable in God's sight, is that we conform ourselves to God's Word. Not trying to make God do what we want Him to do, but instead changing ourselves to do what God's Word is teaching. So last week we introduced, or, or two weeks ago, we introduced the regulative principle of worship. And that means that we only do in worship what God commands. We do nothing other than what God has specifically commanded in Scripture. And Deuteronomy 12, uh, verse 32, was our proof text. Deuteronomy 12, 32 says, Everything that I command... Everything that I command, you shall be careful to do it. 
you shall not add to it or take from it. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 32. And so in our day-to-day -day lives, in our normal working lives in the home uh, and in our work, we are governed by the normative principle. And so the normative principle is where God's word forbids us from doing anything. So if the scripture forbids it, then we don't do it. But unless the scripture forbids it, then we're absolutely free to do it in, in our normal lives. The scripture doesn't forbid dancing, so we're free to dance. But does the scripture command dancing and worship? If it doesn't command dancing and worship, then it's not according to the regular principle, and so we don't do it in worship. And we make this distinction between our everyday life and what we do in worship. Think about your voting. Think about your life in the political world, who you vote for. It's not my job as a minister to tell you who to vote for. I can't bind your conscience to vote for a particular political party. What you have to do as a Christian person is apply the general principles of scripture. It's use your, your sanctified common sense. Use the gift of the Holy Spirit working with your common sense and you decide who you should vote for. If a minister or elder was to tell you who you should vote for, then you shouldn't listen. That's living life according to the normative principle. But when it comes to worship, then we should adhere to the regulative principle. And that means that your conscience can be bound to do certain things and not to do other things. The regulative principle teaches that we should do what God has commanded. And two weeks ago, we saw what happens whenever we do something else, whenever we do something that, that we have come up with, even if we think it might please God, God has not commanded it, well, we end up like Nadab and Abihu, who were struck down by God. This has consequences. It means there might be things that we want to do in worship, but that we cannot do them. Because worship is not about what we want. Instead, we need to be able to take the Bible and reason from the scripture that what we do in worship is what God has commanded. It's what God wants. Not what I want, not what the congregation want, but what God wants. So we don't argue for doing something in church on the basis that it might be entertaining to the congregation. And we don't argue for doing something in worship, even if we think it might be edifying for the congregation. We need to be sure that it is commanded in Scripture. And that way we can be 100% sure that it is good for the congregation and that it is for God's glory. Well, what is it that we are commanded to do? What, what are those things which the Bible commands us to do? Well, in the Westminster Confession of Faith in, in chapter 21, 
it outlines for us what the Bible commands us to do in worship. There's not a chapter of the Bible which says exactly what we should do. We, we take the whole Bible and we look at the whole thing and see across the Bible, what are we commanded to do in worship? And the Westminster Divines have brought that together into one chapter of the Confession of Faith. And chapter 21 tells us about worship. If you don't have a copy of the Westminster Confession of Faith, I would really encourage you to try and get one. You can uh, find it on Google. And if you can't find it on Google, then get in touch with me. And I'll make sure you can get a copy. It's, it's not as difficult to read as you might first think. It's really, really beneficial. But before we come to the exact things that the confession says the Bible teaches, it might be good for us to know that in the reformed branch of the church, well, we've generally made a distinction between elements, forms, and circumstances of worship. Elements, forms, and circumstances. Very, very quickly. Elements are the things the Bible commands us to do. So, um, public prayer, reading of the scripture, preaching, hearing God's word, listening to the preaching of God's word, congregational singing, administration of the sacraments, baptism, and the Lord's Supper, uh, taking vows, as we do at, at ordination services for elders, uh, as we do in, in weddings, uh, making vows. Those are things that are commanded by God that we do in service of worship. And I would refer to those things, that the elements, as the ordinary means of grace. We've used that phrase in previous weeks. But the forms are how the elements might be expressed. So, for example... We want to read the Bible. God's word commands us to read the Bible in worship. But to do that, we need a translation. And what translation we use is a form. Okay, so it's not an element. We're not saying that people who read from one translation or another are either part of the church or outside of the church because of that. We're not saying that it's not worship. We're simply saying that this is a form. Okay, so unless we speak Hebrew, we'll choose an English translation. We don't, I don't think anybody among us is fluent in New Testament Greek. I certainly am not. And so we choose an English translation. And there are lots of English translations out there. What else will the Lord's Supper? Think about the Lord's Supper. We're, we're required to make some choices there. The bread. Should the bread be gluten-free or not gluten-free? Should the bread be leavened or unleavened? What about the wine? Should the wine be alcoholic or non-alcoholic wine? Those are things we have to think about. They are forms that the element of taking the Lord's Supper takes. Singing. Do we use screens or do we use books? Baptism. Do we sprinkle or do we immerse? These are not incidental things. 
they can require much theological reflection. And I, let me tell you, have thought very deeply about most of those things. But what I am saying is that with forms, we allow some latitude in how we interpret the Bible. Well, finally, we have circumstances. And circumstances are variable, but they must be decided upon. So, for example, the time. There's nothing in the Bible that says we have to meet at half past 10 or 12 o'clock or half past one or half past six. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But if we didn't decide on a time, then how would we know when we're all getting together to worship? We would all be showing up at different times. So it has to be decided upon, but it's circumstantial. It, it's not uh, an element of worship. Should, should we use amplification? Does, does the minister's voice carry without needing a microphone? Or should we have a microphone in front of him? What instruments do we use to accompany our singing? Do we use an organ or a piano or a guitar? Should we have drums? All of those things come under circumstances of worship. And so we are commanded in the Bible to use certain elements. This is what we are bound to do. We have to do those things. But the forms and circumstances, well, we're not bound by those. Let me put it like this. We could say that if the word is not preached, then it's not a worship service. That will be a fair thing to say. If you're at a worship service and God's word is not preached, it's not a worship service. But you cannot do the same thing with whether or not the organ is played. You can't do that with organ playing. Instrumentation is not an element of worship. So it's the elements of worship that we're going to be focusing on over the next couple of weeks. Let's start with prayer. The Confession of Faith speaks about prayer in chapter 21, paragraph 3, by saying this. Prayer with thanksgiving being one special part of religious worship is by God required of all men. And that it may be accepted is to be made in the name of the Son, by the help of his Spirit, according to his will, with understanding, reverence, humility, fervency, faith, love, and perseverance, and if vocal, in a known tongue. So let me ask you, when we're gathered in worship, when is it that you pray? When do you get to pray? This is an element of worship. We're clearly saying it's important. When is it that you pray in the name of the Son, by the help of the Spirit, according to his will, with understanding, reverence, humility, fervency, faith, love, and perseverance? Well, the truth is, that while your prayers are not vocal, they're not out loud in Sunday worship, you pray when the minister prays. It's my job, or, or anyone else who's 
who's leading in worship, it's my job not to pray my own prayers, but to pray prayers for the congregation, for all of us. It's really important that we, we get our heads around that. The prayer that takes place in our services of worship isn't the time for us to daydream and then say an amen whenever we think we've got to the end. It's the reason why I trained for ministry. It's, it's why we, we send men to train for ministry so that, that we have an understanding of what it means to pray, not for ourselves only, but on behalf of the whole congregation. Maybe you've never thought about that. wonder if you've ever thought about you, the fact that you're, you're putting your trust in me to pray for you. To pray in the name of the Son, by the help of the Spirit, according to his will, with understanding, reverence, humility, fervency, faith, love, and perseverance. It's hard work. I put time and effort into preparing my prayers because of that. But I do want to make it clear that I'm not praying for you. I'm not doing it so that you don't have to. We are doing it together. In the Roman Catholic Church, in their teaching, the priest does enough for everybody. In the Roman Catholic Church, your, your sins are forgiven because the priest repents. All you really need to do is, is be there. In fact, it's possible for the priests to carry out divine worship without any congregants. But not so for biblical Christians. But biblical Christians know that we have a great high priest who has fulfilled the role of Old Testament priesthood. He is the one who has done all that we need to do. He's, he's done it on our behalf for our justification. And so in justification, we are passive participants. But in the worship service and in the prayer, well, it's, it's all of our responsibility to, to listen to the words, to think through them carefully, and to agree with them in our hearts by faith. It's not the minister doing it and that's enough. The minister fulfills a role as representative and he, he pastors the people in his prayers. But unless a congregant is actively adding an amen, not only at the end of the prayer, but to every sentence, to every word, then the prayer is meaningless to that person. We need to listen to what's being prayed and we want to pray along with it. In that way, Everybody in the congregation, all those who are gathered, well, we're doing the same thing at the same time, united as one body, bringing that prayer to God. So in all of this, I really want you to see that in each part of the service, it's not that, that one person is, is acting up at the front and, and there's an audience watching what's going on. Worship is participation. The entire congregation bring our prayers to God. In times past, uh, people have thanked me for my prayers. And, and in many ways, to me, that's so much better than being thanked for the sermon. 
my prayers, I really hope, express what you want to say. What you want to say in the way that scripture asks us to say it, asks us to express it. And so this section of the confession teaches us how we are to pray. If our prayers are to be accepted by God, then we offer them in the name of the Son and by the help of the Spirit. In prayer, we come confidently and boldly in the name of Jesus. We don't pray on our own merit, absolutely not. We pray in the name of Jesus. We pray as we worship, we pray through a mediator, through the only mediator, Jesus Christ. And so our prayers are offered in the name of Jesus, Jesus, because it's in Jesus alone that we have an audience with God. How gracious is God that he provides us with a mediator. But what does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? What does it mean to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, it means that we use the word of God. We pray the Bible. We pray the Bible. How do we pray in the name of Jesus, the incarnate word of God? Well, we pray the Bible, the written word of God. How do we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit? We use the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. So even when our words feel, when our words feel inadequate, praise God, he, he's given us, he's given us a whole book, a whole a book of, of inspired words that we can use. I need to tell you that the Bible is a rich, rich resource for us in prayer, both in public worship, but also in private worship. Simply sitting down and, and reading through the Psalms, reading through Lamentations, reading the letters of Paul, and reading them not just to gather information, but reading them as prayers, and allowing our hearts to pray along with those prayers of the Bible. For example, what if we want to praise God in prayer? Well, perhaps... In our own personal prayer lives, praise is something that is lacking or is neglected. So how do we go about that? How do, how do we go about improving that? Well, I would suggest that we use the Bible. We use the Bible. That's why I've printed it at the top of our uh, prayer sheet for tonight. I've, I've printed from Psalm 136. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. That's a prayer. It's a prayer that any one of us can pray. It's a simple, straightforward prayer. But by using these words from God's word, from his inspired word, well, this is worth thousands of anything, thousands of words that I could come up with. So if you're struggling to pray, if any of you ever struggle to find words to pray, well, you could do a lot worse than looking to the Bible. In the Bible, you will find many ways to praise God, to express 
the hurt in your heart to express that God feels distant. You'll find many ways to pray for other Christians, to find many ways to pray for the lost, to pray for the government that exists over us in our country. God's word is a resource packed full of prayer for us. And if prayer is something you struggle with, then get in touch with me. We can talk through uh, some simple ways to begin helping us pray. When we use the Bible in prayer, well, then we're praying not to the God that we want God to be, not to the God that we imagine God to be, but we're praying to the actual God who has revealed himself in the Bible. So it's my intention each and every Sunday, as I lead in prayer, what I try to do is use the Bible. Use the Bible to, to form the structure and the thoughts and the words of what we pray together. Well, secondly then, in terms of elements of worship, uh, and we'll finish with this for tonight, I want us to think about reading, preaching, and hearing the Bible. Reading, preaching, and hearing the Bible. And again, these elements are not a one-man show. In these, the first two, at least, reading and preaching, the minister is kind of reversing the role that he has in prayer. When he reads the Bible and preaches the Bible, then what he is doing, what the minister is doing, is relaying God's words to the people. So in prayer, the minister takes the people's words to God, and in reading and preaching, he's bringing God's word to the people. But we're all active in this. When we're reading the Bible, I always try to remind us that what we are hearing, what we are reading, is the very word of God. It's not just the word of God when it feels that way, when I get some kind of a shiver inside of me. It's not partly God's word and partly someone else's word. When we hear scripture read, we should be aware that we are hearing from the very God of the universe. And so, as the confession teaches us, scripture is to be read with godly fear. With godly fear. Then the confession goes on to speak about the preaching and hearing of God's word. It says the sound preaching and conscionable hearing in obedience to God with understanding, faith and reverence. So maybe not a lot of us will have to worry about the sound preaching. But that's a burden that weighs heavily on me every single week is that whenever I preach God's word, I bring it to you in a sound manner. I, I, I bring God's word, not my own thoughts, to you. But you are far from a passive participant in worship. You are to 
listen in a conscionable manner. What does that mean? Well, it means you, you pay attention. It means you, you think about what's being said. You don't just sit back and, and let it flow over you. I wonder if you ever have thought about this before. Have, have you ever thought about how you prepare for worship? I always try my best to keep people informed about what I'm preaching on the next Sunday. At the very latest, it's sent out with the, the order of service on a Friday or a Saturday. Well, it's possible then that you could read the passage even on a Sunday morning before worship begins so that you're able to listen to it a little bit better so that you know the passage it's going to be preached and, and are able to tell whether it's being preached soundly. Hearing the word of God preached from week to week to week is like the children of Israel receiving manna in the wilderness. The preaching of God's word is how we are fed as God's people, how we are sustained along the journey of the Christian life. Maybe are we ever like the children of Israel who longed to go back to Egypt where they ate fine food. Do we ever long for that with the preaching of God's word? Do we ever long for it to be more entertaining? For it to be easier to listen to? I'm happy to say I've never heard that kind of thing in Jazz Pass or in King's Mills, but I've heard it in the past elsewhere. Biblically, what I'm trying to do when I preach is what the Levites were doing in Nehemiah chapter 8. And verses 7 to 8. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 7 to 8, God's word says, The Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. My job is to try and give the sense. It's to try and explain the text of God's word. It's not taking my thoughts. It's taking what God's word is saying and trying to explain it to the congregation. And that's, that's why I, I preach through books of the Bible, section by section, sometimes verse by verse. I'm going to wrap up there, but what I really hope that I've, I've tried to show, what I'm hoping to show us tonight, is that while it might be possible for someone to walk in off the street and, and look at a worship service and think, you know, that looks like a stage show. The, the action's taking place at the front and, and everyone else is in the audience. Well, that's not the case at all whenever we understand what's going on in worship. In every part of the service, through every element, and we'll cover the other elements in the coming weeks, all of us, in every part of the service, all of us are fully engaged. The minister and the congregation. We're all participating in worship. 
We are participating in the act of worshipping the one true and living God. Let me pray now for us. Let's pray together.